it's, it's horses for courses. I think if you're looking at a sector like retail, it's a very fine balance to have something that is aesthetically pleasing. But if it's hidden, you lessen the impact of reducing the crime. So for instance, if I don't see the CCTV camera, it's not going to deter me. I would just assume that there isn't a CCTV camera there. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Loss prevention and technology. Lessons for EP colleagues from an underserved sector of the community. Today, we're going to be speaking with John Eddery, who's a technical projects director at MAST, I'm here with Elijah Shaw. This is quite an interesting tangent, but yet it's quite a familiar group of people. Loss prevention, physical security specialists, but also the adaptation of technology for our needs. Where do you think today's going to go? Well, again, I always kind of reemphasize this point, which is what's great about the Circuit Podcast is that we can talk to so many people around the world and while, you know, that core emphasis might be executive protection or close protection, we can pull in people from these related fields and get something from them that we can apply to what we're doing. And loss prevention, I think, it, you know, is one of those, it's a tangent, but we incorporate that so much, whether we use the term or not, uh, into our duties as protectors and, and particularly as security consultants. You're right. You're right. Because as all EP colleagues progress to be a risk manager, progress to be a security consultant, there is that degree of advising the client. You don't have to be the tech expert, but you need to be able to say, this is what's out there. This is what's available. And actually the tangent, yes, LP is a bit of a tangent, but uh, some of the same scenarios arise. For example, visibility of security. Do you want massive, massive bollards outside your store? It might turn people away. I think there's similar parallels with protecting a principle. No, no, 100%. And you think about whether you're doing covert or overt. And even if you go back to a retail environment, and, and I spent time doing retail loss prevention, um, you know, in my journey through, through the security industry. Uh, and if you if you spend time in a retail environment, you'll see you'll go into a department store and you'll see an individual in the front, maybe looking at the cameras right at the front door where it's obvious to someone who's coming in. However, there might be plain clothes um, uh, members of the security staff that are inside browsing the aisles like a shopper. And you can see the direct uh, uh, parallel to executive protection where we might have an overt team and a covert team embedded into the environment. So the, the crossover really makes sense. It just takes you know, a subject matter expert to come talk about it. And then you know, it's great to have you and, and have Sean be able to you know, pull out those parallels and, 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 and pose those questions so that way our listeners can say like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. I can see how that would be important to our profession as well. John Eddery himself is a crossover because now he works for MAST. 
one of the one of the you know larger maritime security operators obviously they do a lot more than maritime security they do uh, a lot of physical security including ep so he's made the jump so, so exactly so so who better to have this conversation as someone who's had a foot in both worlds and can see where that synergy lies love it well let's hear from john and let's explore those wonderful nuggets that we can extract from loss prevention and technology for the wider EP community. And now let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit Magazine. Loss prevention and technology, lessons learned and ramifications for the wider security sector. We're here with Jonathan Eddery, Director of Technical Security Projects at MAST, and also a great friend of the industry. Uh, Sean West and myself are very happy to have you here. How are you doing? Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to see you again. I know you very kindly spoke at the CP Tech Forum, so this is quite a good uh, segue. Uh, but before we get into it, let's do our three quickfire questions. Loss prevention and tech, what's the problem that you think the industry needs to try and solve at the moment? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I think it's the responsibility placed on the loss prevention professional. So whether that's a, a regional loss prevention manager or the LP in the store, I think it's bridging the gap between the understanding of the technology and how they use it. I think that's quite imperative in how they get the best use out of that equipment is having the, uh, is being comfortable using it. So I think that's the biggest issue for them. Okay. And then, and then what about you? Where does your passion for this come from? Because is it, is it all loss prevention specialists who are into technology? No, I think for me, it's quite, it's a subject quite close to my heart. When I left the police some 12 years ago, I, very quickly realized that um, even though I had a lot of transferable skills in the security industry, no real qualifications. So I had to start again. So it's understanding that roadmap to where I am now. And actually technology kind of, it wasn't something that I, that I looked at. And I don't think many security professionals do when they're on that road. It was something that came to me in a previous role and having that experience and that understanding of it has really propelled me to where I am now. So that's really my passion as to where I am with technology. Okay, okay. And then, and then let's sort of relate it to at least our uh, wider CPEP uh, community. What, what would you like them? I'm not saying they're all uninitiated, as I would normally ask, but what would you like them to better understand? It's difficult because it's, I suppose it depends on the audience. So from a security consultancy perspective, I think there's certainly a gap there from what is a project manager and being able to complete security needs assessments. But it's very simple to apply cameras to a map or to promote the use of access control, etc. But to actually understand how that equipment goes together so that when you present that to an engineer, that's important, that's imperative. And I think that's where we need to bridge the gap here. That's where we need to educate more professionals in 
it's not just about the design, it's, it's about how we implement it. So Jonathan, what do you think the tech landscape is at the moment in responding to different kinds of crime? Yeah, it's a great question actually, Sean. So having personal experience and knowledge in the retail industry, I think um, the culture has certainly changed. And, and as a result of that culture, we've seen, especially over the you know past few months with COVID, maybe an increase in assaults on staff, so one of the great innovative technologies that we've seen come come to the forefront is body-worn cameras, uh, a fantastic tool in loss prevention, because not only does it detect and deter the crime itself, but it, it also enhances the user's ability in, I'd say, being more professional, because once you turn that camera on, that you are very, very much aware emotionally as well as from a communication perspective that everything you're doing is being recorded. So it's kind of like a, it switches you on to be, okay, I need to be at my absolute best. So not just from a technical perspective, but from a, an emotional and professional and cultural perspective, I think it's a great, it's a great tool. We've seen a number of different technologies actually come forward. And especially over COVID. So I, was, I had the pleasure of working with uh, Gatekeeper, which is um, a unique technology that is slightly out of the box. I must admit, working in the police, I thought I'd seen every type of risk and could very easily pigeonhole every thief that I could see. But amazed by the results that Gatekeeper came up with. Basically, if the system is that if you, without going into too much detail, because that will, <laughs> telling you how it works will, will, will go against its purpose. So if you haven't paid for goods and you tried to leave a store with a full trolley, it will, it will stop and lots of alarms will go off, et cetera, and things like that, and will alert the LP in the store. Now, the types of individuals that I saw that would blatantly go into a store and, um, and fill a trolley was was surprising was 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 amazing and not only did it highlight an unknown risk within the store it, it actually provided more awareness for lp staff as to the risks that could happen in the store so yeah we've definitely seen a lot of technology come forward mm -hmm. oh, interesting stuff certainly some good feedback on the body board cameras and everything you said there is is correct when Big Brother's watching, you definitely you, you you see a difference in people how how they deal with things. And yes, for sure, they'll definitely up their professionalism. Going back to something you said earlier, actually, you, you talked about a, a roadmap in learning tech. How can a security consultant of today be expected to be all encompassing in everything? Risk assessment, technical procurement specialist. Should there be training available for them to do that or should the emphasis be on the security consultant themselves to upskill themselves and learn this new upcoming tech? All, all very valid questions, really, Sean. And I think a bit of both, if I'm honest. If you're very fortunate to work for a company that will that that has uh, a training mentality and that will bring you forward, I was very fortunate in my previous role to work for, for a company, TJX Europe, that did exactly that, um, gave you that training. There's a lot of different courses out there that you can utilize at the moment. Uh, Tabcom, for instance, 
do some do some excellent courses with access control, CCTV, uh, intruder alarm systems. And I think it's just having that fundamental knowledge. You don't need to be an engineer, but you need to be able to, when you're speaking to an engineer, to understand the complexities of how that install is going to go ahead. Because not only from a cost perspective or a quote perspective, but also when you engage with the client, you're able to answer questions that are maybe a little bit left field, maybe a little bit more complex. But then you can you can explain that in more of a user-friendly way. Because sometimes we can get too technical in the details and it's just about resolving risk at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But there is absolutely a responsibility on the individual to step up and and upgrade their own skills. So for instance, I funded my foundation degree. And then I was very fortunate that when I worked at Oxford University that they founded my my CSMP. So there is a responsibility for the individual to, to push themselves. Um, and Richard Branson's got a great quote, hasn't he? He says something like, um, don't go for the job that you know you can do and it'd be easy. Go for the job you think you can do and then learn as you go because you really have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone to really grow. So yeah, get out there and and there are courses out there, very valuable courses that are that are worthwhile. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with everything you said there. You, you know, you mentioned about the client may ask you a question on a particular security system or whatever it may be. So you as the security consultant need to be able to answer that question and put it in the layman's terms. But also it's your responsibility if you're dealing with the third parties to understand what they're trying to sell you and how it how it works, how it's going to be implemented. So they, they don't have the, your pants down. You absolutely. Yeah. I mean you're the glue to the puzzle, aren't you? Yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's exactly what you're here to do. Put the pieces together and, and make these things work. Because if you're really going to maximise, Sean, your profit margins on pro- on projects and give the client exactly what he wants, you need to have that understanding of this should cost this. And this is what I would be able to make from my perspective, from a consultancy perspective. And you're still bringing that down for the client. Because if you don't know that and the, the, the supplier or the installer knows that you don't really know what you're talking about, they will elevate their costs. So you're already at a a battle to really get those costs down. So it's about building relationships with with those installed, which is difficult, isn't it? I mean, let's face it, how does a how does a security officer look at the roadmap and say, I want to become a regional loss prevention manager and then I want to become a project manager and a director of of, of tech or, or director of security? Well all I can say is is how I've done it. And that Maybe a good example, it certainly worked for me, which was really to, to look at the courses that are out there. How can you better yourself? And don't be frightened. I don't, I don't want people to just quit jobs, but don't be frightened to go into an environment that you is, is not known to you. That's how, I've, that's how I've learned the risks associated to I worked for Oxford University, so I know the risks around um, educational establishments. I worked in a corporate a car parking environment as a regional loss prevention manager. I know the different types of surveillance techniques and things that they use there to, to capture crime, uh, work for the government, policing. It all helps. It all just adds the spice to the mix, I think. And I, th- I think you're right. And I think 
as you mentioned there, you know, if you don't know your job, your subject matter, then some providers will come in and they will have your pants down, they'll inflate their costs. But a lot of it, you know, going back to what we spoke about earlier, about the roadmap and learning, is there training to learn these skills or learning on the job? And I think a lot of what we just spoke about there, you know, inflated costs, that will come when you don't know your job. And it's, it, these things come with experience and you have to do several projects to gain that experience. You, you can't just go into a classroom and you can have all your templates and all of your, everything that comes with it. But until you're live, the front of the project, and you're the, the glue piecing them together, and you learned, ah, we could have saved money there, or we could have cut this, or we could have done that better. And you're going to make mistakes, right? It's, it's part, part of learning, isn't it? It's having that leap of faith. It is, and that, that, that's why, you know, the, your time served security consultants who have been around for years, you know, they command the money that they do because they have the experience and they know where, you know, they could save money, how to do things correctly, and they've got the experience of running projects on a, you know, on a larger scale. Going back to loss prevention skills is one of the major skills. Thinking when you think if you're working for a big organisation, there's so much, so many things to protect. You know, mm-hmm. reputation could be equipment, it could be items in the store. So it's one of the major loss prevention skills. Balancing what not to protect, the opportunity costs. Um, an example of that could be you know Adidas store and they have ram raiding equipment outside the bollards. If if you remove them. You've got the risk of you know someone driving through the window and taking whatever they want to take, but because they are there, they look unsightly. So is it, is it a balance of what you provide customer facing? Yeah, you you've hit it. You've hit the nail on the head there, Sean. Actually, because um, security needs to be commensurate to the risk, doesn't it? It needs to be in balance with what you're doing. There's no point having uh, armed guards outside of a cinema, for instance. It's just. It's just you're overprotecting on you. So it all comes down to, I mean, you, you really hit it on the head there with, is it aesthetically pleasing as well? Because, for instance, going back to the Gatekeeper project, the, even down to the, the tone of the siren that goes off or how loud the pitch is, that was, that was feedback that was given because it wanted, we wanted to make sure that the, the customer experience was exactly how it should be. I think the greatest skill for any any LP individual is always communication. Mm-hmm. Understanding the risk. If there's different ways to understand risk. So from a security needs assessment, I mean we can we can really go into it. It's a big it's a big subject, which I'm more than happy to bore you with. But um so to give you an understanding of it, you look at your baseline security measures, you see what you have in place. You know, are your policies and your procedures affecting that? You then look at you can take two risk matrices, for instance, and you can you can harvest data from crime anal- um, analysis or analytics. Now, how, how many thefts do we have in the store? How many assaults do we have in the store? What's the likelihood, the probability, and the outcome of that? Once we look at that, we can see we can cross-reference that to adversary path scenarios. So, for instance, if I'm a burglar and I want to break into this house and they have no CCTV, no, no intruder alarm, and actually the lock is not, is not very good, I can literally walk up to the lock, kick the door in, and you know I'm successful in that. So we look at the adversary path scenario. And if we change that by looking at, well, actually, they've got CCTV. The CCTV is only at the front. Then you would say, 
I can circumvent that by going out the back. So there's your weakest link. So when you're looking at bolstering security and you're looking at how do we incorporate technical solutions, that's pretty much how you would do it. You would look at your baseline security measures. You would see how you can implement better layers of security, kind of like the onion effect. And and through doing that, you you bolster security. It's commensurate to to the risk, and you can evidence it a lot more succinct, succinctly by saying, "This is the weakest link, and this is how we're going to to bolster it from that point." Yeah, no, that's that, that, that's great. I mean, it's, it's not just technology. I think what you are seeing there as well is mapping everything in together. I mean, I mean providing security, making sure it's commensurate to the threat. You, you've got to have the right people in place. It's not just technology, it's people, procedures, and the technology. They need to know how to use the technology yeah, absolutely. and have the procedures mm-hmm. to deal with the event as it happens. So without one, the rest falls down. And technology is, the weakest point in technology is, is the end user. Yeah. It's the, the person that's comfortable enough and knowledgeable enough to use it. It's, um, you know, we have to empower people to give them the right training, the right knowledge, the right experience to say that this is easy, this is how you use this, and this is how it can benefit you. So absolutely. But but Jonathan, I, I think an interesting angle to, to, to look at would be whether or not as time goes on and technology improves, that the aesthetics versus practicalities of, of, of technology is, is going away. I, I, I'm thinking, for example, uh, uh, back in the day, quote unquote, um, uh, preventing uh, vehicle-borne uh, attacks would involve massive blocks of concrete. And then they said, ah, well, those could be lifted off the ground themselves. And so they, they thought, right, well, what, what should we do? And they, they came up with other ideas. And now they've got these very discreet uh, bollards, which um, obviously on the top are discreet. On the bottom, they're not so discreet. <laughs> um, do, do, do you see something similar happening with uh, technology where where a lot of things can become more discreet and and therefore more appealing, especially if I think to the EP sector where you might have some uh, ultra high net worth individuals not wanting a massive bollard in their living room, you know? Where are we going with that? Well, you're absolutely right. It's it's horses for courses, I think. I think if you're looking at a sector like retail, it's a very fine balance to have something that, that is aesthetically pleasing. But if it's hidden, then the you lessen the impact of uh reducing the the crime so for instance if i don't see the cctv camera uh, it's not going to deter me i will just assume that there isn't a cctv camera there certainly there is technology that we're streamlining technology and the shape of cameras is changing we now have surface mounted uh, 360 panoramic cameras with built-in microphones that uh, that are connected to panic alarm buttons that when you press the panic alarm button the feed opens up and the mic pushes that back to a european security operation center so the the controller at the other end can can monitor that but you're, you're absolutely right i think it depends on the environment depends on the risk and going back to your to your bollard scenario um there's there's other there's other methods isn't there you can have i think they used to be called tiger traps which is basically a big trench isn't it and if a vehicle drives over it 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 collapses and the vehicle goes inside it and there's lots of different ways i suppose it's 
it's crime prevention through environmental design techniques really it's looking at what you have in place how can we how can we introduce the minimalist amount of security to get the maximum amount of result so yeah and it depends on the risk if you're trying to prevent a hgv from driving through your reception area then you need something pretty substantial for that don't you mm, yeah I, I i i think many people have seen those youtube or or tiktok videos of uh the super bollard versus hgv yeah. so um <laughs> but but here's here's an interesting one and our ep community are many times forced to deal with what they're presented with and obviously we'd love for more of the community to be involved at the start so that we could you know build in security by design what what can they uh, do uh, or what can they um learn uh, with regards to security by design if a lot of their work is you know rocking up to existing facilities um is is there anything for them uh, to sort of input into is relying on previous experience and knowledge i think it's awareness of surroundings if if you if you're not aware of crime prevention through environmental design or sipted as it's as it's known in the industry if you're not aware of those principles then when when you're acting on the hop in a situation you can't utilize them so i, I think to answer your question it's it's knowledge based it's finding out more about the principles and how you can use those every day does that make sense it does because it shows them where they sit in the wider whole um which is fun we've actually had that on this uh podcast uh, a few times this this uh importance of you know getting people to see their own value um and then see where they plug into the hole. Uh, talking about plugging in, going back to technology, I'm, I, like, I like how we're pivoting between uh, building uh, security by design and, and tech. Uh, is the key to all of this the SOC? And I'm, I'm not saying that there's going to be one massive control room with loads of screens, but the thing that binds all of these topics together, in my mind, seems to be the SOC of the future. Um, I, I wonder if you could speak to that also with regards to your current work. Yeah, I think the key to all of this is the end user. I think the person on the ground using it, or if it is a CCTV camera that's being pulled back to, to a SOC, I think the SOC has evolved, and I think it's evolved for a number of different reasons. Personally, I think it's it's safety. It allows a lot more um, ability to, to monitor staff um, from a crime prevention and a safety perspective. But I think the driving force of why SOCs and ESOCs and GSOCs are global security operation centers and European security operation centers. I think the, the driving force there is cost. Uh, I see a huge uh, return on investment from not only having all of your intruder alarm systems, your CCTV being, being brought back to one um, specific hub, but you're reducing costs from vendors. So, you know, your key holding, your alarm monitoring, um, and actually the impact on key holders uh, is reduced as well because you can, you can monitor the premise uh, with a, an intruder alarm activation, for instance. You can monitor that through CCTV. And instead of, 
if you can't reset the alarm remotely, instead of sending a key holder out, if you have that ability to monitor that in your SOC, then you can do that, put it on a spot monitor, have your security operation center uh, employees looking at that and monitoring that throughout the night. And you've actually saved a key holder getting up at two o'clock in the morning, going out to a, to a, an alarm system that may or may not be able to be um, reset. And it's something that you can do in the morning. So there's a lot of benefits there. Do I think it's the it's it's the way forward? I think absolutely yes, it is the way forward. I think even from just minimizing dependencies on business operations, I think it's a it's a very valuable tool. And it's it's something that other business partners can buy into. You know, it's not just about security. It's uh, there's a lot of other disciplines that you can you can buy into with a security operations center it's a point of contact if people have inquiries or anything like that really so jonathan where does all of this fit into your current work at mast yeah that's a great question thank you for um so without giving too much away as to the, the companies that employ my services because of ndas and things so i act as a holistic security consultant so basically a company will ask me to come and assess their business whether that's a startup business or a very established business look at their risks complete a security needs assessment so for instance in the construction business at the moment there is a responsibility and a requirement through bream and reba so the royal institute of british architects and bream being the building research establishment environmental method there is a, a responsibility there at a very early stage to have a security consultant um, advice so i work heavily in that area as well um, that incorporates site visits security needs assessments looking at it, what we touched on earlier actually sean with looking at baseline security um principles looking at how the current policies and procedures impact on that and then compiling a risk report showing to that business that this is where I see your your low level risk your medium level risk and high level risk putting forward recommendations and that's when it leads into the technical piece because once you put forward those technical requirements or those technical recommendations having that awareness that actually what you're putting forward can work that it is achievable so for instance uh, goods in barriers making sure that you know there may be some planning permission there i'm working on a project at the moment where a cctv poll requires planning permission so we had to ensure that that was in place that the specifications were correct that it was it was a grade two listed site, so it had it had to sit again aesthetically in that environment and be signed off. So it's it's also looking at these are the CCTV, the access control that I would recommend, but it's looking at the operational side. How will that affect the operation? Are we being um, is it commensurate to the threat? So, for instance, uh, looking at warehouses, for instance just having a screech alarm and so a screech alarm is basically on a fire exit door so if you open the door without permission without fobbing it first for instance then the internal alarm will sound that's a requirement 
in from a security perspective in a warehouse because a warehouse could have nine or ten fire exits and what we don't want is free flow access from the external perimeter into that area when on your main entrance you have facial recognition access control and um um pedestrian speed blades so the pedestrian turnstiles you've got all of that but actually you can circumvent that through opening a fire exit so these are all the things that i would incorporate in a security needs assessment and once i put forward those technical recommendations i will then engage with the vendors and the installers which i have business partners they're, they're my business partners i've worked with them with multi-million pound projects um trust them impeccably because their reputation is mine and then project manage that really from from start to finish but i'm very fortunate in mast that i work on a, a lot of different different projects different subjects so right the way from high net worth clients for private residential homes you know it's, it's a great privilege to be able to protect their homes in that way right the way through to large corporate businesses, to grade two listed buildings, and even working with a colleague on super yachts. So the access control, the thermal imaging cameras, the, the deck sensors, just having that extra awareness of how that technology is incorporated into super yachts is, is uh, yeah, intriguing and amazing. Is, is, is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, exactly what you, you said there about the super yachts. I know I've got experience in all of the above what, what you said, you know, the residential homes implementing the, or recommending the technical system to go in place, then dealing with the installers, the end users. Um, mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, the super yachts, it's a, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Um, I had to go back to one, one country and do an assessment on a yacht, and it, it's not, whilst I've spent a lot of time on a yacht as a CPO, working with different principals and families. The technical aspect of a yacht is very different to protecting a, whilst the principles are the same, it's very different protecting a yacht to a residential home. And there's a lot more features there that really you need someone from that background and with that maritime knowledge of, of, system, of, of, yeah. of systems, you know, you, you kind of just come off the street and go and recommend everything for a, for a yacht and that became pretty plain straight away as soon as I went there we, we took a, a we had a very good SSO on board the yacht I'm talking about it was very technically minded which it was fantastic um, and we took an expert in that from another field over across and I kind of sat in the middle and kind of pieced them together which is exactly like you said the glue but what I learned from that was fantastic you know the knowledge you can draw from a project to use on another project and another project that's you know where your experience goes as a as a consultant and increases the services you you can offer i guess it's very interesting isn't it and we haven't touched on budget as well mm -hmm. so from a technical perspective your budget will absolutely drive you in the direction of a specific technology so with super yachts for instance it's it's pretty much always the best because it has to be because of the environment because of the so if you're dealing with fog for instance you know the floor cameras that are out there a second to none the um the actual reason for why you're using that technology changes but if 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 what you're trying to achieve is restricted by budget 
then that's that's another hurdle to uh, to jump over, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and, and, and talking experience again, you know, see you've, you've got a budget of a hundred thousand pounds to implement this project, and the progress is to you. Yes, I can give you this, this, this for a hundred thousand pound from them. Yeah, you, you learn from experience that it's probably going to cost a lot more because not just what they're going to come and do. You also have things you have to do to prep for that, and your, your budget becomes a lot greater. So you, you need to know. You know, how a project works, how it's implemented, how it's kicked off, and all the planning amongst that. The price that they give you is not is not the the price hmm. that it's going to cost. You have to have your buffer zone there as well. And again, it comes down to experience, doesn't it? And yeah. you're not going to know everything when you when you first come into that environment. I mean, a hundred thousand pound could be one camera on a super yacht, and it can be one hundred thirty three on a, a private industrial estate. So it's yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, I like this discussion. It reminds me of my battles with uh, event venues. As everybody knows, I'm a generalist. You know, I just, I just, uh, I sit here and I put my generalist hat on. But especially in America, you know, what's what's the plus, 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 plus? It's um, it comes with experience, as you said. Um, but I like this cross pollination, and I think this sits very nicely within the cadre of Circuit Magazine podcasts that we have been doing not least because we are, yes, creating that collaboration, but we're sort of shining a light on other areas which people will get exposed to or are getting exposed to but don't quite realise the context in which they're working yet. Um, And, of course, there's that uh, ever-present goal of eventually becoming your own security consultant. And then, as we said at the beginning, how can you be all of those value-added reseller uh, security by design and um, loss prevention master, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. Uh, what what's next for you, Jonathan? Oh, what day is it, Fulham? It's, <laughs> uh, who knows where we'd be in two years' time? Um, just if I could ask you both a question, actually, what what do you think has been the most valuable piece of technology that we've brought to the security industry in the last five years? I know it's it's changed massively in the last two. But what if it would be good to get your insight as to what you believe has been the most valuable piece of tech that we've brought into the industry? Probably to you first, uh, Sean. To be honest, I don't know. We use a lot of technology. Um, and one of the things I've learned whilst we've... Uh, I deal with security at a number of sites of high net worth individuals. And one of the things I learned was, you know, we had, they had a lot of high-end, you know, different camera systems, and it was a mixture of Fleur, um, God, give me some other brands, Axis, okay. yeah, it, whoever it is, and a, a great system I found was the ISM Genesis Two, which is the brain, the hub, which all the systems would integrate into, and it, it was fantastic um, system, but. When you're using lots of different brands of cameras, you've found a lot of, once we've upgraded all of our systems, some of some of the devices don't plug into that. Or it, So it's not just the thought of, right, let's get this system and implement it. You've got all the nuances of all the legacy systems you've got in place. Um, so I don't think that answers your question because that's not <laughs> what I see as the best technology, but I, I do use a lot. I have experience of using a lot and. Um, one of the great systems I came across you mentioned the FLIR system yeah. access cameras we just 
started implementing them on a lot of our sites. Very, I thought it was a very good system. How you could design a project yeah. from the start where you go in, you know, put your site on, and they, whilst I don't do that, it's the CCTV engineer who will do that and plan the system. But, you know, the printouts they give you and how they design the system, tell you which cameras will work where. And you can build a whole project from the ground up, and it's, you know, it's fantastic just watching how it all comes together. Coming from an LP uh, background as well, there's there's so many different things that you can you can gain from a camera now with with heat mapping and footfall. I mean, other business partners will buy into that. That's that's valuable mm-hmm. research and marketing material from a branding and you know, looking at some stores. I'm I'm thinking of maybe when we had Debenhams and places like that. So different retailers would come in and they'd want prime retail floor of you know where's the, the largest footfall i think one of the, the great things that i've seen especially with the the footfall cameras is how they can heat map mm-hmm. the um the footfall within the store and it's valuable mm-hmm. information it can be you know it can encourage buy-in from different departments um so yeah it's interesting floor cameras though that's 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 a vast subject so i'm glad we're not covering just that today yeah. so. you know, I, I think the advances in radio systems as well have come on along a long way in recent years with the cellular push to talk. I think it's fantastic. So you can mm-hmm. speak to someone. <laughs> although, although I am still worried about that because when I was doing defense events, when I was doing close air support uh, topics and things like that, um, we'd always be talking about the challenge of non-proprietary networks and all those push to talk things that use TSM, that use four or five G you know and and the argument was put on one of these podcasts the argument was put forward yes but how often does the entire mobile phone network go down well well, i get it not very often but it could be switched off by a local government if you're abroad it could be jammed you could have far too many people screaming at the pylon (laughs) you know there there, there are those considerations and you ask me and obviously i'm not the expert but i'm just observing right on the boring i would say the the, the cell phone and all of the fantastic apps that can be your virtual assistant and force multiplier. But if you had the money, um, I won't go into detail, but Palantir and t- technology like that, if you had the money to ask a big question and you asked someone like Palantir to answer the big question for you, I think that would be a massive game changer. Uh, uh, there was that famous example a few years ago, um, the murder of a school teacher in Abu Dhabi, uh, the police were, of course, very upset because they couldn't work it out. But, you know, a company, I don't know if we should name any names, a company found out that there was one car that day that obscured its number plate with a national flag. And uh, because they were able to analyze video so very quickly, that was the red herring. It was, you know, it was obscuring it in the name of National Day celebrations but it turns out that was the car, and 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 that's that's all in the news. It's all open uh, domain. But but I think technology like that, if you have the money, but otherwise, then my boring answer would be the cell phone. So, I like it. Good. All right. Loss prevention, technology, uh, security by design, big topics. But it's great to have you uh, back on, Jonathan. And obviously, we're very pleased that you spoke on the panel uh back in january in the cp tech forum but uh, yeah from sean and myself this has been another fantastic edition of the circuit magazine podcast
so many parallels, so many things to take away over covert and that service mentality. I'm really excited. You know, Elijah, what did you take away from today? I mean, once again, you know, you're able to look at the people that we bring on who obviously uh, have a great understanding of the things that they do in their respective fields. And we tie it right back into executive protection and the close protection community. And so when you look at something like loss prevention, you look at something like the uses of technology, particularly like the retail space or the high end retail space and being able to uh, know that we as protectors as security managers are going to have to have our hands in that pot in some way, shape or form. So having an understanding of that, having a Rolodex of people have, that have a higher understanding in that is only going to increase our worth in the long run. Indeed. And, you know, imagine you went to a Louis Vuitton store and everything was chained up. I, I can't afford that. So I can't imagine it. No, well, I, I, I've no, I, 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 don't, I don't go in myself, but, but, but I imagine they're not chained up. I, right, right. I, exactly. They, you know, much more discretion is uh, is is used, and that is, of course, a massive parallel with the with the industry. Good stuff. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed having uh, John Edery on, and if uh, John can move from LP to the world of corporate security and EP, then absolutely, that 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 says synergy. Absolutely. You know, I I gotta say, you know. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, I had spent some time in loss prevention on my security journey that ended me up here. And there were definite takeaways. Uh, the same with uh, being a private investigator. So the things that I did in that field, have we had any private investigators on the show? We got to make sure. Well, we had a lie detector. To- nah, nah, we need some straight private investigators. We have, to, we have to put them in a future episode. Maybe we can get that in for season two as well. But again, that crossover, taking those experiences and those things that are unique to that segment, and you can apply those into uh, uh, into executive protection. Love it. Well, you know, what else have we got coming up then? Because I think there's lots of scope for collaboration and lots of scope for, you know, including that content, obviously on the podcast, but also in the wider magazine. Sure. Well, I know we got a new issue of the magazine that is going to be coming out. Let's see, by the time someone listens to this, well, let's just say any day now. So we'll have a new issue to look forward to that. Uh, We're well into season two of the podcast that people are listening to right now. And by the time this episode drops, I can say that on my end, I've got a training course coming up. So there's a new Icon ESI training course that's coming. We've uh, excited to get back out here. You know, when you're on this other side of COVID, and I'm saying COVID and quotes and pandemic and the other side and, and all of the appropriate quotations. Uh, but but we're on the other side of this and, and people are interacting, still interacting safely, but interacting more. It feels good to uh, to be able to to get out there and, and, and do some training in the field. And when when is that and where is that? So that course is in Colorado. So we have it uh, in association with ESI, Executive Security International. So that's in Colorado. And that is the 25th, 26th and 27th. Fantastic. Love it. Um, well, on, on, on the wider event uh, circuit, we will have our 
date announced for the circuit magazine event that will be focusing on learning and development you know obviously drawing on that very first circuit event that we did on learning and development i'm sorry that was very first successful too we need to mention that that was a success that was a hit it was yeah and and people really really piled into that um maybe it was the novelty but also it was the fact that we had so many great trainers and on everybody's mind isn't it what will you do eventually in your career you'll want to give back you'll want to train sure great looking forward to that one for sure i love it and obviously i've got a host of things coming up but you know Maybe maybe too many to mention right here. Um, <laughs> Always do, bro. It, it it was great to see um, uh, uh, Colin Doherty and uh, Jay Martin and Eric Smith in my Denver event last week. Uh, so obviously they are uh, at least at least some of the big fans of the podcast. So so shout out uh, to them for 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 joining us. Good stuff. Uh, and you know we 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 really do have to keep this cross pollination going. Yes, looking forward to future episodes for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you on that note to John Eddery, our guest today. It's been a great uh, tour de force between LP Tech and, of course, EP from Elijah and myself. This has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Good stuff. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.